everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful. It is Friday. That means we have made it through another week of American politics. I hope you're doing wonderful. Uh, quite a week it was. Donald Trump announced he's running for president, meaning we are in um, some pretty wild waters to be charted, but mm. we'll be doing that uh, with you each step of the way, and it'll be quite the process until 2024, which will be one of the most important elections in definitely our lifetime, but also I would venture to say American history. Um, crazy, crazy times. But with that being said, let's jump into our first story of today's show. Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to look over, uh, oversee, and head up the investigation into Donald Trump. Any of the federal investigations, obviously the Mar-a-Lago documents one, but also Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election. So we'll look into this in a second here, but from uh, 30,000 feet, the idea from Merrick Garland's perspective is if we can separate a little bit the political scene from this investigation, maybe the American public feels like it's less political because that's the accusation against the Justice Department right now in regard to Trump for many specifically on the right. And so if you uh, appoint a special counsel, that's not Merrick Garland who is directly appointed by Biden. That's a little bit more removed. But my feeling is either way, guys, if Trump gets held accountable for his possible crimes, they're going to call it a political witch hunt. That's just going to happen. And so just make sure that you're following the evidence, putting together a rock solid case, and then try to treat Trump as a as much of a normal person as you can. Go about it like he's not a political figure. Otherwise, you get in this messy scene of trying to consider all of these different optical concerns, which I just think you lose both ways. But here's this news breaking. Attorney General Merrick Garland, this is from the Associated Press, named a special counsel on Friday to oversee the Justice Department's investigation into the presence of classified documents at former President Donald Trump's Florida estate, as well as key aspects of a separate probe involving the January 6th, 2021 insurrection and efforts to undo uh, the 2020 election. The move announced just three days after Trump formally launched his 2024 candidacy as a recognition of the unmistakable political implications of two investigations that involved not only a former president, but also a current White House hopeful. And we will look as it continues on to describe at Garland announcing this and outlining uh, some of his reasoning, as you'll see here from MSNBC. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. Such an, uh, an appointment underscores the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. It also allows prosecutors and agents to continue their work expeditiously and to make decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. So as far as where I land on this, I agree with people who say, um, stop thinking so much about the optical concerns because then you're considering politics just as much as you would be from the accusations that people are making. So what he's trying to do is say, we're not considering politics, look at all the things we're doing to convince you we're not considering politics, which is considering politics, which is kind of backwards. But I also get 
it is different when someone is an individual like Trump. And as long as we're going through the proper processes to hold him accountable and we're not letting him get um, off scot-free for crimes he committed and he will ultimately, uh, ultimately be held accountable, then honestly, I'm okay with lots of precautions being taken to make sure this doesn't come off as a political uh, witch hunt by any means and appointing the special counsel in the eyes of Merrick Garland is one way to do that. So I'm not as enraged as some of the other people you'll see commenting on this, um, but I also understand their criticisms and generally feel like Merrick Garland has been slow rolling this a lot. And then to narrow in on who this special counsel will be, his name's Jack Smith, uh, as Business Insider writes, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced on Friday that he has chosen Jack Smith, that is such a unique name, <laughs> a veteran prosecutor who investigated war crimes to oversee federal criminal investigations involving Donald Trump, including the probe into the foreign president's handling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Smith, who was appointed as the special counsel, will also preside over key aspects of the investigation into the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So the Mar-a-Lago investigation and um, the other two as well will be under his oversight, which we'll see where it all goes. But the closer you get to Trump being the nominee or something like that, you're getting in some tough waters to, if you are considering the optical concerns, if he's really close to the general election, running for president once again, and boom, he gets hit with charges. Of course, that's gonna be screamed out by the right wing as an attempt to hold him down. Even though we've seen these investigations have been going on, the evidence seems pretty obvious for many of the crimes he is alleged to have committed, and he should be held accountable for that. A lot of people like to pretend on the right that no person is above the law, but then it comes to Trump, and no, 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 he should be above the law, which is not how you have a functioning country that has the phrase they like to use is law and order. So we'll see how it all goes. And of course, we'll be following it uh, very closely. The Republican Party in the buildup to the midterms had this commitment to America plan. And they talked a lot about inflation, about crime, about all of these issues, high gas prices. And they said, when we take over the house, we're going to have a plan to address those issues. And ladies and gentlemen, they have revealed their plan. They're gonna investigate the stink out of Hunter Biden. That is their plan to solve the issues of our time. And boy, are they going all in on it. Um, here's one moment that about sums up how they feel about all political issues in one moment of this press conference. It's not related, it's not like the person saying, talk about inflation and then this happens, but picture that's what's happening and you'll get a perfect context for the political moment we're in. Take a look. More than 14 now, whistleblowers come talk to us. That's what we're gonna focus on. And my last question is, if, what are the grounds If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, this is kind of a big deal, we think. If we can keep it about Hunter Biden, that would be great. So, so, yeah, yeah. so again, what they were talking about was completely separate. I think they're about to ask about the January 6th. Um, something, but that sums it up. Can we just keep it about Hunter Biden? Can that be the next two years? Can we just keep everything about Hunter Biden? Um, hilarious, but truly that is what they're going all in on now that they have officially been projected uh, to be keeping the house. And it was so cool put together, let's see here, by, if I'm not mistaken, Midas Touch again, coming in clutch all the mm -hmm. time. And they highlighted all the times before the midterms, not all the times, but a couple times, 
um, where Republicans were saying, we're going to address the kitchen table issues. And then they juxtaposed that to the last like 24, 48 hours where Hunter Biden has been the only thing coming out of all these individuals' mouths. Take a look. House Republicans are polling ahead of Democrats because we've been disciplined and importantly, we're listening to the American people. We heard the same thing, kitchen table to dining room table to inside the factory. Can I afford it? Can I afford to fill up my tank? Can I afford the food, the milk? Emails purportedly belonging to Vice President, Bi uh, Bi Vice President Biden's son, Hunter, has <laughs> all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Can I find baby formula? And bring down the price of gas, the price of utilities. The things that people care about. Behind Glenn and Andrew is a map from Hunter's laptop. <laughs> this was a PowerPoint presentation on his laptop in Chinese. When we roll out this commitment to America, I think you're going to see a lot of enthusiasm. A government that's accountable. We're going to talk about the issues that matter to the American people. If, if we can keep it about Hunter Biden, this is kind of a big deal, we think. If we can keep it about Hunter Biden. <laughs> it's so good. Obsessed. It's so good. Um, yeah, so that's what we got to expect, you guys. And what was announced is the new Republican uh, chair of the Oversight Committee is launching an investigation into Hunter Biden and was revealing um, what they're going to be diving into and all these purported issues with him. And we've, I did a whole segment in the past about Hunter Biden and what was aggravating about what he did, what is the part that the right wing is manufacturing and fabricating and why it's number one not as big of an issue as they make it out to be um the connections they make to joe biden aren't there but then also admitting to the fact that hunter biden had the position that he had wasn't appropriate but again the story they tell is so far uh, beyond that and it's not relevant to in the ways they try to make it out to be the american people it's not going to solve inflation gas prices <laughs> as we knew this is what i used to say when we would cover um all of these people criticizing biden who caused inflation and i would say great i hate inflation too i have an explanation for why it happened and what will cause it to um soften up as we go forward what is your proposal to fix this problem and we want to get anything not to mention the hypocrisy on the issue of Hunter Biden. Look at Jim Jordan saying, you know, it's a little fishy that Hunter Biden has been, uh, had business dealings in other countries. Try to figure out why this might be a little hypocritical. Connecting the dots to a national security threat to America, because that's, in my view, what's most important here. It's not about uh, attacking yeah. a sitting president's family. It's about what this represents with regard to communist China and other adversaries. Can you connect those dots? Yeah, it seems like he's doing business deals in all kinds of countries that are adversaries to the United States. It's Ukraine. It's uh, well, Ukraine's not an adversary, but at the time it was a corrupt kind of kind of place when he when he's over there. But but Russia and China, um, and and of course, remember how the story has changed. And we pointed this out yesterday. At first, when this came out two years ago, it was oh no no, it's not it's not Hunter Biden's laptop. It's just Russian disinformation. And then it was well, okay, it's his laptop. Maybe it's really not Russian disinformation. But President Biden wasn't involved. Remember, he said, I have no knowledge of my son's business dealings. Connecting the dots to a national... So uh, Trump has business dealings and interests worldwide also. And he's actually the guy who directly benefits from those. The connection they're making is Hunter's interests maybe influence his father's interests. And that connection they're not making uh, accurately with evidence. 
but then they ignore completely the fact that the Trump organization, Trump, that's the name of the guy who started it, um, literally has business dealings across the world, but nobody cares, um, or at least on their side they didn't, mm -hmm. especially because we just found out foreign countries spent a bunch of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars at business uh, interests and properties of Trump, which is of course a conflict of interest. It's not necessarily any quid pro quo going on that is being alleged at this time, but it is a concern when someone has those types of business uh, interests directly and they're president and that could sway them. That's not great. But why they care so much about this Hunter Biden story with no interest in what would be even more of a blatant example of this conflict of interest just shows the unseriousness of all of this. Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, our favorite mm -hmm. congresswoman here at the Luke Beasley Show Corporation, um, she said something, uh, or she got asked something, I should say, based on claims she makes all the time that the reason Joe Biden's horrible is because of the open border. And as we talked about, we don't have an open border. But aside from that, one of the things they've been pointing out a lot recently is the issue we have in this country with fentanyl and saying that the increase of immigration into the United States, specifically across our southern border, is why we're having a problem with fentanyl. But this journalist, um, during a press conference, asked a really good question on that topic as you'll see here. A uh, quick question. A lot of you mentioned, uh, uh, mentioned the fentanyl crisis that, that is happening, but most fentanyl comes from people crossing the border who are United States citizens, not necessarily immigrants. Uh, what, what is your response to that? That, uh, that, that is something that's I would ask for where's your proof on that because that's not what we've been shown. That's not what, when we go to the border and we're speaking with Border Patrol agents, uh, when we're there on the ground, that is not at all what we're being told. So I'm going to push back yeah, on your. I'm. I'm sorry. I don't see. I don't. Um, the Cato Institute is not the Border Patrol. There's a big difference there. I'm sorry. Is the Cato down there securing our border and stopping illegal aliens and human trafficking and drug trafficking? I'm sorry. You're going to have to get a direct source. And when you bring the Border Patrol in here and want to quote that, then then we may take you seriously. But we're not we're not taking the Cato Institute seriously. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes. So in short. Here's what um, is the truth. The way that fentanyl comes into our country is through legal, legal ports of entry and primarily U.S. citizens because the way that, um, and we'll, in the description box of this YouTube video, I'll throw a bunch of sources if you want to go read into the details of all the specific numbers on this. But the way you would have to get drugs across the border in the most efficient way possible is to come up with ways to stow it in a car, right? This is what um, cartels will organize. And then a U.S. citizen comes through acting like they're doing whatever. They drive through a legal port of entry. And broadly, that is every single, you know, investigation or batch of research that's been done into this. That's how fentanyl comes across into the United States and then does the damage that we know that it does. And that is a problem and that should be uh, worked on because we don't want people feeling the effects of that type of, uh, you know, drug overdoses and all the lacing and all that type of stuff. Mm. But Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't care about that issue. She cares about demonizing immigrants because if you actually wanted to talk about solving the problem of fentanyl coming across our southern border, it wouldn't really be a conversation about immigrants at all 
because again, it's legal U.S. citizens coming through legal, uh, legal ports of entry across the southern border that actually make this happen, that actually uh, bring this fentanyl into our country. But she's ignoring that fact. The journalist hi highlighted there. Again, you can dive in the specifics below um, if you'd like in the description for our YouTube viewers. But it is so aggravating on so many of these issues. They do not want to actually talk about the facts because that would not align with the demonization, with the throwing of red meat to their base that they want to do. Here's an example of just how far she has gone. You heard her in that video deny the fact and also call them as she does illegal aliens which is quite the phrase for a human being, but also she's saying, yeah, 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 Russia's invading Ukraine, but immigrants are invading the United States. That's the comparison she makes right here. Proxy war with Russia. We had 5 million people cross our border illegally since Joe Biden took office. And let's compare that to how many Russians have invaded Ukraine. 82,000 Russians have invaded Ukraine. I think the American people and the taxpayers of this country deserve to know why the Biden administration and this Congress is so interested in funding the protection of Ukraine's border and not the protection of our border. That's a very good question. Vile human being. She's comparing an authoritarian country trying to take over or cause mass devastation in another country that's sovereign, that um, has not done anything to provoke that type of action mm. and the mass killing of civilians and soldiers to immigrants trying to get into a country to seek a better life. And because of our messed up legal system, too many of them do go the uh, illegal route or the, you know, outside of our, our legal process, which I dislike because I wish we had a better, more efficient legal system that would allow these people to do this the proper way. Mm. And that is what she's comparing to what's going on in Russia is something that's happened. Now it is at a larger rate right now, but throughout US history forever, immigration has been a thing forever. It's just something that happens in countries. Immigration happens. Now we can debate how much should we have, what should our process be, but to pretend like immigration is at all comparable to the attempted conquering of another country by an authoritarian power is absolutely disgusting and vile. Joe Biden and uh, the Biden administration is seeking legal immunity for Mohammed bin Salman, of course, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and his directed killing of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. We'll talk about this, but here's is being reported on CNN. Morning, the Biden administration has determined Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman should be granted immunity. This isn't a lawsuit against him by murdered journalist Jamal Khashoggi's fiance. Of course, we all remember Khashoggi, who was murdered in 2018. Uh, his remains have never been found. A U.S. intelligence report concluded that bin Salman approved the operation to kill him. Of course, he was a journalist for The Washington Post. And in July, President Biden stunned the world when he went to Saudi. And there you see it fist bumped with the crown prince following a promise to make the kingdom a pariah on the national stage uh, as a candidate. Remember this. 
I would make it very clear we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. Let's go straight to our colleague Alex Marker, who joins us in D.C. Alex, I got to tell you, waking up to this headline and reading through this, I was really stunned. Can you explain to, to our viewers why this was the decision of the administration? Yeah, the administration, Poppy, says that this is longstanding practice, that this is international law, that foreign heads of government are granted immunity from prosecution. Now, normally, Poppy, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is not a head of government. He's simply the son of the king. But a couple weeks ago, the king, King Salman, gave his son, the crown prince, the title of prime minister. So then he technically became the head of the Saudi government. Now, experts and activists who I've spoken with said that that was a ploy in order to get this immunity. And now it has worked. He is technically the head of the Saudi government, and that is what the Justice Department pointed to in their filing late last night that they made in this case that was brought by Khashoggi's fiance. Uh, that filing made at the request of the State Department. So, okay, guys. Generally, we can say Biden has not followed through on his campaign promise to make MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, a pariah on the world stage in Saudi Arabia, a pariah on the world stage. That has not happened. Biden did go there seemingly cozying up to him. And y'all know throughout the last year of Biden's presidency, there have been so many things that I've been positively stunned by that he's been able to accomplish. And largely I've been very pleasantly surprised with his presidency. This has been one that I haven't been particularly happy with. Now, as we talked about in the segment, while back whenever he visited MBS in Saudi Arabia. Um, I get that there's a lot of diplomatic concerns and I understand that sometimes you have to do things that don't come off the most morally sound because of uh, more complicated geopolitical reasons. But whenever you made such a clear statement, you remember they played that clip, I was happy they did on CNN, on the debate stage in that setting or a town hall and said, uh, I'm going to make him a pariah on the world stage and hold him accountable. And then you don't make an effort at all. And the United States intelligence found that it was indeed MBS who ordered the killing of this journalist for criticizing their government or doing reporting they didn't like. And that's it. Once you become president, you just kind of go back to normal status quo just feels wrong for sure. And so the specifics of this, Maybe it is true, uh, seems that it is, that we don't allow the, uh, these types of legal cases to go against heads of states and we do grant them immunity, but um, this is more so the optical failure of, I, I think, Biden on the issue of Saudi Arabia and MBS after a pretty strong stance he took during the campaign. Here is um, a Democratic Congresswoman saying she was kind of stunned waking up to this news. We also got news out of Washington overnight from the White House side, which is that the Biden administration has decided to grant immunity to the Saudi crown prince. This is about a U.S. legal case. And basically they're saying that that he's exempt for it, that he has immunity from it. And uh, the case was related to the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, which we should note. The administration has said he ordered. Can you think of a good reason that the Saudi crown prince should have immunity in this case? I was sort of, I, I'm going to be very blunt. I was stunned when I read it this morning. Uh, and I uh, have already was texting my staff very early about trying to understand what the issues were. Uh, so I, th I think it's very complicated. Um, but 
uh, I am very disturbed uh, by some of the things we say. So I, I want to, before I go off on one of my um, whatever, I really do want to understand the issues and have asked to get the details of what this finding is. So she said there, s similar to what I'm feeling, which is it'll be interesting to see the explanation they're giving. What is the validity to that explanation? But then separate from that, it is clear that at this time, Biden needs to take some sort of stand against the actions that were taken by MBS, by uh, the Saudi Arabian government, whether that's purely rhetorical or also in actions he can leverage based on the United States government um, is to be seen. But something needs to be done on his end to show he didn't just completely forget, ignore or flip on this issue since his campaign and still cares about getting some sort of justice or making clear the United States by no mean, means endorses or is OK with or stands for the actions that Saudi Arabia, uh, their government, MBS specifically took in regard to Jamal Khashoggi. Elon Musk, as I'm sure you guys are aware, is driving Twitter into the ground and it is falling apart. You probably saw yesterday, I think it was, hashtag rip Twitter was trending because of the horrible mayhem that is going on in the Elon Musk world. Specifically, on that day when hashtag rip Twitter was trending, uh, Elon Musk had put out this warning to the remaining employees, the ones he hasn't fired yet, and said, you better be ready to pretty much grind really hard and get into it, it's gonna be crazy. And if not, I want you to leave. And then he panicked and shut down all the Twitter buildings and said that their little scanners won't be working to get in because he was worried someone was going to try to sabotage the website, Twitter, um, the app and stuff like that. Very strange, just completely falling apart over there, which is interesting and a bummer because Twitter was a great way to, not a great way, it was garbage. But... <laughs> <laughs> it also is one of the main ways people communicate about politics mm. and to get out information about politics. And so this is causing a situation for a lot of people. Um, but with that being said, here's CNN breaking down that particular event where the offices are getting closed and he's making these threats to the employees and all these things. There's a lot happening, seems, every other day at Twitter. A mass exodus now appears to be underway, and they're rejecting that 5 p.m. deadline of today, that ultimatum. And now I hear they're, they're closing their office buildings? Why? What do you hear from people inside of Twitter? Yeah, it really feels like Twitter is taking its last gasp here. I mean, if you look on Twitter right now, the top trend worldwide is RIP Twitter. And that's because scores of employees have seemingly resigned from Twitter, rejecting Elon Musk's ultimatum. Let's, let's, let's take viewers back. Musk earlier this week gave Twitter workers, the people who are remaining after those mass layoffs earlier this month, he gave them an, a choice, uh, work quote unquote hardcore or leave the company with three months of severance. It seems like a large amount of people have decided to leave the company. They don't want to work hardcore. And that's thrown the future of this platform into utter chaos. Um, I've been talking to people all day. One former executive who recently exited told me that with all these uh, departures, it's going to be hard just to keep the lights on 
over there. And so now with all these departures, uh, the people who are remaining, the management has suspended badge access into Twitter's offices, presumably because they're afraid that uh, employees who are technically no longer employed at Twitter uh, could potentially sabotage things. I'll read you the statement or the email they sent to staffers. It says, effective immediately, we are temporarily closing our office buildings and all badge access to will be suspended. Offices will reopen on Monday, uh, November 21st. And it goes on to say, we look forward to working with you on Twitter's future. Uh, but as, as you can see, just mass disarray has gripped this company here. That is, <laughs> I have not seen, not that I've covered too many of these types of business dealings, but just throughout life have not seen someone be able to take a company, maybe except for some crypto stuff, uh, and run into the ground this quickly and cause it to fall apart this quickly. And it's pretty profound because Elon Musk is revered by so many as like this genius in the business world. And of course you have to have some sort of intelligence to build that amount of wealth and good ideas and stuff like that. But that clearly does not translate to leadership and management because it's definitely not showing through with his dealing of uh, Twitter and as Mediaite writes, just this one particular bizarre aspect, Twitter just alerted employees that effective immediately all office buildings are temporarily closed and badge access is suspended. No details given as to why we're hearing this is because Elon Musk and his team are terrified employees are going to sabotage the company, which you have to know that you've PO'd a lot of people to be worried that they're gonna sabotage the company on their way out to such an extent that you're having to lock down the buildings and remove people's badge access. So there it is, Elon Musk not having the best time. Donald Trump, of course, is involved in so many different investigations that we're following. One of them is his business dealings and the possible crimes that were committed there. And even within that, there's a handful of different things going on, but specifically Alan Weisselberg, who was his longtime Trump's, that is the Trump organization's CFO, agreed to testify as a part of one of these investigations. And as I'm about to show you here, did connect Trump and his children to some of these actions that are being investigated in the testimony that finally happened uh, as is written here from CBS, former Trump Organization Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisselberg testified in court Thursday describing how Donald Trump and two of his children allegedly participated in a scheme to defraud tax authorities. Weisselberg said Donald Trump, or at times Eric Trump, or Donald Trump Jr. signed checks to pay up to $100,000 for private school tuition for Weisselberg's grandchildren. Weisselberg said uh, he then instructed the company's controller to deduct the $100,000 from his salary, allowing him to report a smaller income. Copies of some of the checks signed by the Trumps have been shown in court. Weisselberg said the first time Trump signed a tuition check, Weisselberg told him, don't forget, I'm going to pay you back for this. The paycheck, he said, was a salary reduction. Two Trump organization entities and Weisselberg are accused of more than a dozen counts of fraud and tax evasion. Weisselberg entered a guilty plea in August, admitting to charges filed by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, accusing him of receiving more than $1.7 million in untaxed compensation. And this article goes on, but... Pretty much this just adds, the phrase I'll use often with Trump is adds on to the very large stack now of the legal troubles he has. And the person who knows pretty much 
everything about what went on behind the scenes in the Trump uh, organization is complying with his investigation, testify, connected Trump and his children to some of these actions, and thus is making it more likely that Trump will be held accountable. And so for me, this is interesting because I really don't know which investigation, which set of crimes is going to be Trump's undoing, right? Which one is he actually going to be held accountable, held accountable for, if not multiple? And I've always said that the 2020 attempts to overturn the election is the most important. While any crimes he committed, it's equal in the sense that everyone should be held accountable for any crimes they commit. But specifically, the impact it has, the ramifications across time that it'll have to hold someone accountable who was the president, lost an election, but attempted to stay in power through some wild means, including the iconic moment where he calls up the Secretary of State and says, find me 11,000 votes. Um, that needs to be seen in the history books as a moment that the individual who committed that was held accountable for it so that future people, future leaders, presidents don't think they can get away with it. But the business dealings are also going on in the background, even though we talk about it a little bit less and are fascinating on their own. And so we'll see if this does end up also taking down Trump um, and being something he's held accountable for. Lauren Boebert is one of these very far right radical congresswomen that we discuss on occasion. And uh, she, it looked like, was going to maybe lose her congressional race, which was completely wild because this was supposed to be a safe district in this Colorado 3rd District, if I'm not mistaken, where she's the current representative. Uh, there was redistricting done that made it more red, more easy, more safe for her to win. But still, um, her challenger came so close, so, so, so close to getting defeated and unfortunately it looks like she's going to pull it through and win now they're doing a recount i've seen that some uh, the media outlets haven't even called it they're going to wait i guess until the recount's done which is a rare occurrence and that's how tight this race is but it looks like she's leading right now and usually recounts don't uh swing too many votes and so she'll likely stay in that seat but it's still notable here's her declaring victory. Hey everyone, great news tonight as almost all the votes have finally been tallied. I'm told that there are less than 200 votes outstanding, which makes me so happy to announce we have won this race. With this victory and with Republicans in control of the House of Representatives, we can focus on the issues that actually matter most. Like Hunter Biden. Including getting inflation <laughs> under control, increasing our domestic energy supply, <laughs> securing the southern border, and being a strong check on the White House. Now, over the next couple of weeks, this race will have an automatic recount, which will be completed in early December. My campaign team and our lawyers will definitely make sure everything is conducted properly. Past recounts in Colorado have resulted in far fewer votes being adjusted than anything that could affect the current outcome we're seeing tonight in this race. So come January, you can be certain of two things. I will be sworn in for my second term as your Congresswoman and Republicans can finally turn Pelosi's house back into the people's house. Thank you to every volunteer that made calls, knocked doors. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> inspirational. So, so inspirational. Um, you know, we're going to turn Pelosi's house where historic 
investment in infrastructure were passed, historic investment in climate change response, lowering prescription drug costs, capping the cost of insulin. We're going to take that, those horrible actions that were taken, and make it your house and investigate Hunter Biden the entire time. And that's all we're going to talk about. So woohoo for that. Here's from the Washington Post. Republican Representative Lauren Boebert, a renowned conservative firebrand whose combative style helped define the new right, is likely headed to an automatic recount in her bid to fend off a surprisingly difficult challenge by a Democratic businessman from the ritzy ski town of Aspen. The Associated Press has declared the election in uh, Colorado's 3rd Congressional District too close to call. AP will await the results of a potential recount to call the race. With nearly all votes counted, the incumbent Boebert leads Democrat Adam Frisch by 0.16 percentage points, or 551 votes out of nearly 327,000 votes counted. We'll continue on in a second, but this is an example of why when people go, voting doesn't matter, <laughs> 551, that's so few people mm. that almost <laughs> your vote directly mattered in this race. Uh, as the Washington Post continues, a margin that small qualifies for an automatic recount under Colorado law in a race that has garnered national attention as Republicans try to bolster their advantage in that U.S. House after clinching a narrow majority Wednesday night. So a recount will happen. We'll see if anything changes there. Likely it won't, and she will stay a congresswoman, which of course is a bummer. And the other thing is her, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and some of these particularly radical individuals, because of how thin the majority is in the House, it is so razor thin that just a handful of Republicans will get to make huge decisions, meaning Marjorie, Bober, a few other of these people could make a little block, their little American, um, not American, Congressional Freedom Caucus, I think it's called, of the kind of most far-right people, and dictate whatever they want because they can cause Kevin McCarthy's life to be hell if they don't go along with his agenda, whatever it might be. Again, really, I don't know any proposals they're actually pushing for other than bizarre investigations and possibly impeaching Biden or something. Um, but... It gives the Boberts, it gives the Marjorie Taylor Greens a lot of power. And we're going to have to be dealing with that over the next two years until hopefully in 2024, Democrats could take back the House. So a lot of y'all have reached out and said you love the Trump interviews. And I get it. They're quite entertaining. <laughs> and so because of that, I've realized that I've gone to a lot of Trump rallies and Trump events to interview Trump supporters. And some of these were pretty far in the past. And a lot of the show's growth have ha has happened in the last like two seconds. And so I realized most of my audience hasn't even probably seen a lot of these interviews. So what I've decided we're going to do, if you're a longtime follower, this will be a recap for you, but still fun. Over the next couple weeks or so is kind of as we've been doing in the past with the most recent rally we did, trickle, trickle in at the end of the show, a little bit of a, tour through the past rallies I've done, an interview here, an interview there, to give you a sense of all of the uh, full extent of the conversations I've had with these individuals at Trump rally. So today, let's start. I went to a Trump rally a while back and talked to a guy who literally said he believes that women should get the death penalty, the death penalty, 
if they get an abortion. Now, I'm going to show this to you. It's absolutely insane, but it's wilder because he didn't just say that. He said that right after saying everyone has the, has the right to life. Wait, 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 wait. How did your brain not <laughs> right whenever you hear yourself go, everyone has the right to life and also dot, 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 kill women who get abortions. That's wild. So check this out again from, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Trump rally or a Trump speaking event, maybe not a rally format where um, this was going down and I caught him outside of it. He had a make space great again shirt on. And this is the conversation we had truly unhinged. Um, so big news, Roe v. Wade. Looks like it's going to be overturned. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? So, no, that's great. That was horrible, you know, horrible uh, ruling. So this was when the uh, draft got leaked that Roe v. Wade was going to be overturned. So that kind of gives you a time frame. And that's uh, what I'm asking him about. Him about ruling in the first place uh, and all they've done is muddy it up since then so I think uh, it's about time okay and then in your ideal country what would the rules slash laws be on people getting abortions everybody has the right to life life starts at conception uh, it's okay everyone has the right to life mm -hmm. interesting <laughs> Science, you know, this is a human life. Okay, we should protect life always. Always. And the punishment if you got an abortion? What do you think? When you take a life, an innocent life, should be murder. It. Oh, it should be murder. You didn't say you yes. should be murdered. <laughs> like, should the person right. get death penalty? <laughs> yes. You think people should get the death penalty for having an abortion? You know what happens when. Say, for instance, a guy kicks a woman in the in the stomach. That's he gets a murder sentence in many states for the death of that wow. child. Okay. So you saw that I didn't. Okay. I don't know what to do with that. Okay. Um, I guess I can't scream at you right here. So we'll just move on to the next question. How do you feel about gas prices? Um, literally, he with no irony at all says. I believe all life should be protected. And then I didn't even understand what he was saying. And he goes, it should be murder. I think he's saying that it should be considered murder. I heard you should be murdered for getting an abortion. So then I say that to him. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm mistaken. You're not saying the woman should be murdered, right? And then he goes, yeah. And so I go, to confirm, you want them to get the death penalty. I know you heard this all, but I'm just recapping it for my own processing. And yep, death penalty for women who get an abortion. How does that make sense in any world? N not even to talk about, of course, me and him are probably never going to agree on when life as an individual being should start being protected. He says, conception, I believe, um, as long as the being that's being produced is completely biologically dependent on other then the one that's actually causing this process to go on gets to decide if they continue with that process or not. But for him, okay, that's one view to have. But then to extrapolate that to but if you go against what he considers to be a life not only <laughs> should it be a crime or should it be outlawed but the punishment for that crime in his mind should be the death penalty 
That is what we're up against, guys. And so one of the things I realized um, a while back was we have to know which people can we pull out of this movement? Which people can we change the minds of? Who can we unite with? Who's more moderate? Blah, 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 blah. And then who is just too far gone and we got to just purely beat in our political system, right? We have to win politically. That's an example of someone that we just have to win politically against. You're not going to get someone who starts at the point of, yeah, put women who got abortions on death row all the way to let's protect women's rights over their own bodies. You're not going to bring them all the way there, unfortunately. Um, but there are a lot of people who can be changed. And so we have to get those people plus people who are already kind of on board, but maybe not as motivated to unite around these important issues to defeat within our political process guys like that right because imagine that is what is being reflected in some of these politicians and that is why the motivation someone like he has to change what was done with roe v wade that was really good and overturn it was so much stronger than the will of the majority of americans based on polling and based on the votes we saw in the midterms to defend against that right it was the right wing that did not stop working to get the proper people in the proper places so that the Supreme Court justices would be who they were so that they could do what they did. And largely, the Democratic Party just set, sat back and didn't stop it because I don't think they thought that uh, the Republican Party or at least the pro-life hardcore wing, which is most of it, uh, would be able to pull this off, but they did. And it underscores why we have to care, not just about being correct on the policies. We do have to be correct. We got to make sure that that's all backed up by the proper information and evidence, all those things, but also know how to get our hands on the levers of power so we can defend people's rights and bring the country forward. But with all that being said, just truly a wild moment that probably once a week I reflect on that interview and I'm like, God, that's an actual person that walks around in life and there's lots like them and they can vote and they can and do vote unfortunately i mean i want everyone to participate in our process but yikes that's a big bummer that at least the way he votes is a bummer thank you all so much for watching and listening to this day's show but then also this week's batch of shows as a reminder if you're listening to the podcast or whatever and you're thinking, oh no, I'm not going to get to hear a show until Monday. No, need to fear. If you go to patreon.com slash Luke Beasley, you'll get a Saturday show. And let me tell you, sometimes the shows, it's always great, okay? Of course, we give you good content as a thank you for supporting the show through Patreon. But I can tell you this show is humongous and it's going to be a particularly huge and fun uh, show this Saturday. So make sure to go to patreon.com slash Luke Beasley to get access to that and also make what we do possible. With all that being said, have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you either on the Saturday bonus show or if you're less cool <laughs> on the Monday show. See you guys then.